This episode is brought to you by Speakaboos, the only interactive digital library designed for pre-K through second grade. Go to speakaboos.com or your app store for a free trial. Start building your child's love of reading today. Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm L.A. Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts, and moms around the world. Open adoption, whether there is a little communication, no communication, you know, international, domestic, open adoption to me means to be open to your child, to talk about it with them, to receive their questions, and even if you don't know the answer, to say, wow, what a great question. I'm so glad you're asking about that. Let's try to figure that out one day together. Hey, everybody. I'm about to share with you all conversations with two remarkable adoptive moms who are open to answering everything. But first, I would love it, love it, love it if you would go to iTunes.com backslash Atomic Moms and just hit the subscribe button. That way you get our upcoming episodes. Uh, I've got some great ones coming up next week because it's December, because we need a little sparkle in our lives. I have a really funny, uh, kind of outrageous, episode with my mom friend, Nikki Deloche. She also happens to be an actress. You know her from five seasons of the MTV show Awkward. And coming out soon, the Hallmark original movie, Christmas Land. Uh, here's one question I will be asking her. What was it like having Justin Timberlake as your BFF? Yes, that is a real question I will be asking her. Uh, it's going to be a super, super, super fun one. And then we've got Dr. Laura Berman coming on. She has a new book called Quantum Love. And you know her from the Steve Harvey show, Dr. Oz and Oprah. Did I drop enough names? Okay, so don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on all of that. Go to atomicmoms.com uh, so you can check out our show notes and also subscribe to our newsletter. I've got a new column called Mommy Brain. I always try to talk fast through that part. Um but then I'm wondering, like, if I'm making everyone nervous by talking so fast. Okay. Thanksgiving. 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 Um, I don't cook. I wish I did. My mom is an excellent cook. I'll blame her. She was so good. I never felt the need to learn myself. Uh, we will be spending the week with my mom and my stepdad, Chip. I think it'll be a great time. Uh, my daughter has... Uh, I don't know, something's horrible cough, um, a lot going on with her lungs, some antibiotics, and I'm hoping she'll be able to kick it soon. Almost went to the ER last night for an earache. Luckily, the doctor called us back and said, don't bother, put some olive oil in her ear. Um, for new listeners, our daughter is three. The only time we have taken our child to the ER was Christmas morning for a UTI. Uh, yeah, she was two. Uh, Christmas morning UTI. It was a beautiful experience. She got to meet Santa there uh, after the catheter. Um, <laughs> she got a lot of candy from Santa. So yeah, maybe it's just something about the holidays. Anyway, it's National Adoption Month. And uh, last week we shared our episode with Randall Winston, an incredible adoptive dad. And this week, I am featuring two incredible mamas. Uh, first of all, I'm going to be calling a listener. Uh, everybody, meet our atomic mama, Melanie. Hello, Melanie. Hi, Ellie. Hi. <laughs> so I'm thrilled to be speaking to you because you wrote me this beautiful letter. And it was so bizarre because I was in my little garage studio. Uh, I have to say garage studio. I'm so proud of the space that I've created finally. And uh, I got your email like 30 minutes before I was supposed to do this interview on adoption. The synchronicity was just like out of control. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to call Melanie. So you kicked off your letter to me. I mean, this is random. You didn't know I was going to be talking about adoption. And you hadn't listened to no. our Moms Talk Race episode yet. And what you wrote me was, I found your podcast while on maternity leave 10 months ago. And I've listened to just about every episode since. I was on leave with my second child, the first one that I had given birth to. My oldest, three, was adopted as an infant and was only a day old at the time. She is black and my husband and I are white. 
That experience changed me in so many ways and opened up my eyes to things I had been unknowingly blind to before. So I'd love if you could take a moment just to share a little bit about that with us. Yeah. Um, you know, I since in our conversation, I shared with you that I'm also adopted. And so, you know, me being or having an adopted child wasn't a big deal to me. Um, you know, I've been adopted. I have a brother that's adopted. Um, not having a biological mother or father was like, so what, whatever, you know, my parents are the people who can take care of you when you got the flu and, you know, and everything else. Um, but we're the same race. And so, and I, both my husband and I come from, um, areas that were predominantly white. And so we were very open um, to having a child of another race and knew that we were very likely because we were open to it, going to get a child who uh, was black just based on numbers. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and, you know, I think just the, the empathy thing there, um, you know, I always am so in awe of my own birth mother, you know, just being so selfless and, and realizing saying, you know, I don't have the opportunities to give you, I'm going to let another family raise you. And now as an adopted parent, I get to feel that all over again. Um, and, you know, looking at a child with another race and, and her birth mother actually did have other children. So she wasn't just thinking of my daughter. She was thinking of her other kids and saying, you know, my time is now going to be split too many ways. And financially, it's going to be split too many ways. Emotionally, it's going to be split too many ways. I want all of my children to have an equal chance of success. Her mother would have loved her to the nth degree, but she would face so many more struggles as a single parent with multiple children at this point in time. And, you know, just knowing transportation, um, you know, yeah. access to going to school. The, the cost of four children is so, I can't, it's mind blowing to me. Um, and it, I, it really touched me how you were talking about how selfless that act was. Um, that, you know, this, that this mother gave you the opportunity to mother. Yeah. You know, and I, you know, when I'm walking into work and I see another family, you know, and they're waiting for the bus, I think, you know, I'm listening to the podcast and that's kind of what spurred it. You had on your podcast, you said how blessed that I am to lose my keys. Yeah. And I think how blessed I am that I have access to a car and I can get to work in 15 minutes. Right. Whereas I happen to live, even though it's a metropolitan city, public transportation is not ideal um, I will say this past election, we just passed a uh, transport uh, tax so that we can help improve it. So I'm happy about that. Mm -hmm. um, but to sit there for, you know, a bus trip, it'll take maybe an hour keeping three kids entertained. Like, I can't fathom that thought. Like, mm -hmm. I would go crazy. I don't know how I'd keep my daughter entertained for that long. I know. And I, and as we said earlier in our discussion that, you know, this idea that my kid's sick and it's like three weeks off of preschool and thank God I just have this podcast and that I don't, you know, what I don't understand how these mothers, um, how any mothers, but especially in low-income situations, if their kid is sick or something, like how do they keep their jobs? Like how do they juggle all of this? Um, when the I stakes don't know. are so high. And that's, and that's, I think, just the biggest thing. And, and even my own biases, you know, mm -hmm. even though they were maybe silent biases, thinking like, oh, if I'm walking down a street and there's a black man there, like, did I subconsciously like double check or, or put a tighter hold of my purse or something like that? And I realized, like, I really try to make an effort. Like, I don't do that anymore. You right. know, that's someone's son. He's no yes. different than any other person walking down the street. Um, yeah, I know. it's It's been this uh, – it's so crazy to become more aware of my unconscious bias or become conscious of it and like to make the choice of, okay, you know what? I'm, I need to make eye contact with everybody. Like I need to smile at everybody. Mm -hmm. Like – and I usually get smiles back and you're just, I just, it makes me sad that I spent a lot of my life sort of sleepwalking. And obviously there's a lot more that I'm not even aware of, but you know, it's a start and, um, I'm, I'm trying, you know, trying to use this platform to become more aware of other people's situations and give voice to others. And, um, I'm wondering, why did you choose to adopt 
uh, before you had your biological child? We uh, went through some fertility issues. So um, we had tried a number of years. I did become pregnant and then had a miscarriage. And then after that, I was like, I can't do this. It's not for me. Uh, I am not (laughs) mentally or emotionally equipped to be one of these women that has four miscarriages. You know, being a mom was way more important to me than being a biological mom, if that makes any sense at all. Totally. Like being being a parent was even more important to me than getting married. I mean, mm. I, I could have been a single parent. Like, it just, I wanted to be a mom ever since I can remember. Like, you know, growing up four or five years old, I always wanted to be a mom. Like, it's just something I wanted to be. Um, and so to me, and also, you know, being adopted, there was no stigma attached to it. There was no, like, one day we had a sit-down conversation. Oh, you're adopted. Um, no, like, I knew my entire life. We had friends that were adopted. I don't have any sort of weird emotional or disattachment to my parents. I hear so many times like, oh, adopted kids always have this this thought process that they're missing something or something's not complete when they don't know their biological parents. I've never experienced that in my entire life. Um, So adoption was like, okay, I want to be a mom. I don't think I can have kids. I'm going to adopt a child. And, you know, and also kind of financially speaking, I can pay a ton of money for in vitro and it might not work. I can, you know, go through the process of child and I avoid adoption. I have a child that I come home with. Do you mind sharing how long it took you to get pregnant the second time? How long it took you to get pregnant after you already had your baby girl? Was that a surprise? Yes and no. Um, We knew that it was a possibility. Um, My husband and I, uh, through the process of the fertility process, uh, came across um, some natural family planning methods, uh, one called the Creighton model, and we worked actually very diligently with our office, and that's actually the office that we worked with. Um, so I, we've been using natural family planning, so we knew that it was a possibility, but it hadn't worked in the previous seven years, so <laughs> I you... wouldn't work that day. <laughs> and so, you know, it was a conscious choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just happened to take, so to speak. It's amazing. One last question. How do you now, with your daughter who's black and adopted and your biological son who's white, how do you finesse it so that when she's growing up, she doesn't see that the three of you guys look the same? And like, how do you keep her from feeling like an outsider? Two things. I had a pretty good model. Um, it, my parents had the same situation happened to them. They adopted two children. And then six years after the second one, my brother was adopted. My mom miraculously got pregnant. So it was the same in my own, uh, nuclear family. Um, the other thing is we talk about it. We, we talk about the fact that yes, her skin is a different color. Uh, we read books. In fact, last night, there's one of the books that she loves and um, I don't know that it's in print because I got it at a used bookstore, but it's called Why Are People Different? And it's about uh, a little black boy who goes to school that all the kids don't look like him anymore. And actually, they didn't necessarily look like him in his previous school, but that was that kind of comes out through the through the book. Um, there's another one that someone gave us uh, when after we had our son that was called I Love You All the Same. And it's about three bears, a brown bear, a panda bear, and a polar bear oh. that are siblings. It is absolutely so adorable. Um, just that really title that makes nice. me want to cry. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's what we, we talk about. Like, yeah, she has a different color of her skin and, you know, and, uh, but I, I love you both. Mommy has enough room in her heart that, you know, it, that I love you. The, the hardest part for me right now is that because she's just three, she doesn't understand that she didn't come out of my belly. Mm. Because she sees pictures of me with her in the hospital. She saw me pregnant. And she knew that when I went to the hospital, her brother came. So she's like, Mommy, I want to be from your belly. And we have to discuss it. She didn't come from my belly. Um, So that part's the hardest. But in terms of loving her, I mean, we honestly, we just talk about it. It's not, we do the best that that we can with the tools that we know. That's 
amazing. I can't tell you how happy I am that I just got to have this conversation with you. Uh, thank you. Aww. Thank you for reaching out. God, thank you for listening. Thank you for, uh, you know, giving that virtual high five about the Reverend Fowler episode. Um, do you, man, just thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for doing the podcast for us to listen to. You know, I don't think we're our bios, but I did ask Melanie for hers after our phone call. She is a clinical pharmacist that recently transitioned from working in the hospital setting to healthcare consulting with Milliman. She has a passion for continued learning, which has shaped many of her roles, including her pharmacy staff development position at the Indianapolis VA Medical Center, her appointment as an adjunct assistant professor of pharmacy practice at Butler University, and her expertise as a certified HBDI practitioner where she assists organizations with improved communication, targeted learning, and leadership development. She is also the proud mama of Maggie 3 and Charlie 1. Y'all are too smart for me. Hey, that was self-deprecating, wasn't it? How about this? I'm just, uh, we're in good company. We're in really good company, Atomic Moms. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. (laughs) I'm laughing because when I emailed her, I was like, Uh, Can we just do a quick talk during the intro? And of course, that became a 15-minute conversation. I cannot get enough of you all. Our guest today, our part two, is Angie Sanders. She's fabulous. She's a former casting director, so we're going to talk a little bit of Hollywood. She's hilarious, and she is one badass mom. And she has found her life's purpose through... Her adoption experience. I'll be right back with Angie Sanders. Angie, you've got a very sexy voice. Oh, thank you. That's to you. <laughs> well, uh, what are you wearing? Yeah, what exactly. Are you wearing? I'm actually in a crew neck uh, sweatshirt from the early 90s. Uh, Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I have a hole in my t-shirt and I'm in like loosey-goosey sweats. So totally sexy. Awesome. Yeah. And for our listeners out there, uh, we're asking what each other are wearing because this is a nighttime oh, call. Oh this is our first Atomic Moms night interview. Uh, Angie Sanders is a certified parent educator of Teach Through Love. She's a child advocate, public speaker, and founder of the largest parent-run adoptive family support group in L.A. She's also the adoptive parent to her six-year-old biracial son, Mason. She's been a guest and speaker on KPCC Public Radio, the Mixed Remix Festival, the Crawford Family Forum, Adopt Talk podcast, and various adoption agencies. She writes that her mission is to help parents better connect with their children by teaching peaceful parenting methods that tap into self-regulation, emotional intelligence, and learning about brain development for them and their child. So before you got into all of this, you were a Hollywood casting director, and you worked on a show <laughs> no one's ever heard of called The Office, and one of my all-time favorite movies, Step Brothers. What was that like? Did you just laugh every week? I loved it. I was working with the amazing Allison Jones, who was, as far as, and is, as far as I'm concerned, the guru of comedy casting. And I came into the office when it was already in, I think it's third season, second or third season. So I was already a fan. So the first moment I sat down to read the script, you know, that we were about to start casting, I was like hesitant. I was kind of mourning the loss of just being a fan and a viewer. You know, now I got to, had to read it and kind of put my casting cap on and I would know what was going to happen before other people were. And that was a little weird. But then, of course, I would read each script every week and laugh out loud and realize as talented as those people are, and yes, everyone thinks they improvise a lot of it, most of it is on the page written. So that was exciting. And they were all wonderful and lovely. And I adored every minute of it. Were you really entrenched in your work uh, as a casting director when you decided to start a family of your own? Uh, We were, yes. Uh, My husband and I had just moved further out to the valley when when we'd been trying to get pregnant and we always knew we wanted to adopt a child and have a biological child. Even when we were dating, that was what we had talked about. So we were in the trying the biological part, which let's say, you know, we all know what that means. So that was going on, <laughs> having a lot of sex. Um, uh-huh. And and I did have three miscarriages. I actually was 
pregnant when I left the end, coming up to the end of the year in the holiday season. And that's part of the reason I didn't go back and um, because I was a high risk pregnancy and they have to check your blood levels and all this kind of stuff. And it was driving to the doctors. And then I remember even uh, Allison referred me to someone else who called me, recommended me to someone else to maybe do a pilot to work with them. And I was like, you know what? I can't because a pilot is crazy work. And also, um, but then I had a miscarriage, my last miscarriage that put me in early like menopause and just messed me up and had me on the couch in despair because I really knew that that was it. I wasn't going to happen for us. The old, you know, fashioned way. I don't know if that even seems right to the old fashioned way, but the way that the majority of people have it and that I'd always looked forward to. I, and I was very healthy. I tried to be an organic and natural and, so it brought up a lot, a lot, a lot of emotions. Um, and I was lying there on the couch when what was going on in the news was Octobomb. I'm not kidding. That was everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so horrible. It was, I was, yeah, I laugh, I laugh now because even then I was like, are you flipping kidding me? Yeah. I mean, she gets eight and I don't even get one. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was pretty bad. It was, yeah. So, um, so I had to just sit around and lick my wounds and then heal from that. And uh, and then I thought about, should I get a job? But the thing with casting, because everybody knows everybody and it's usually referred, you know, like, here's a job, call this person. I didn't want to start and not knowing if we get matched for adoption when we did decide to, this is a, let's do this, let's not wait anymore. It didn't happen right away. I will say when I had the miscarriage, we waited all the way until um, the, the next, the September, maybe closer to the year. Um, How did so, you know you were ready? Yeah, that's a good question. It was kind of a rough year because my mother passed away in May, which as painful as it was, we, it, it was this, she'd been in a nursing home. So there was this bit of emotional relief, you know, that she didn't, mm -hmm. we didn't have to worry so much and that knowing that all was, I guess, finalized and she's in a better place, whatever, you know, mm -hmm. people's belief is on that, but that's what we believed. And um, so we can begin this chapter. It was actually our anniversary, September 3rd, that we um, decided to put the, the official like first check in and paper to start the journey, the application. Well, how many years had you been married? Uh, uh, let's see. We, uh, I, I only asked because you said it was your anniversary. It, it, we got married in 2001, and we started the journey in 2008. So there you go, seven years. Mm -hmm. um, and seven-year itch that we wanted to have a baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, he, I mean, we had already done a lot of research leading up to the couple of years. I'd gone to seminars and about international adoption, gone to a different couple of agencies, looked into foster to adopt. So we did our research. We looked into possibly adopting from Guatemala, but then they closed the doors for that and, um, and, and, and we felt right about where we were going, which agency we chose, and which I think is important for anyone that looks or is considering adoption to look into what's right for you. Because one thing that might be right for one family might not be right for another. Um, and us, we, we chose domestic because we wanted it to be an open adoption. That's what we hoped for. We, from the research and books and things we read, that is better psychologically, it's now proven for the child to have as much information as they can, even if they know the parent, have photos, can even talk to them and then have, have a relationship with them at one point in their life. Um, it gives them much more uh, self-esteem, it gives them much more peace of mind. And I know that's not always an option in international adoption. Are you able to talk out what your boundaries are with that? Like, it, you know, how often the birth mother would be a part of the the child's yeah, life or, you know, are they down the street or are they, you know, is it someone that you talk to on the phone or you just speak about and then eventually meet? Are you able to sort of figure that out on your own or does the agency help you just discover what the right 
matches for that? Well, now that I've known, because we have just under 300 families in our adoptive family support group and and spoken adoption to different agencies and been to many conferences, I've met so many other adoptive families. So there is the whole gamut of relationships that you've just discussed. All of those exist Mm -hmm. where they do have close relationships, where some of them do live close together. Some get together and actually mm-hmm. the birth um, family will babysit their biological child. They're very close. They have dinners. There are those that have how some of the birth families are raising their own raising and parenting a child, but then have chosen adoption for not for another child where they just have chosen not to raise it for some other reason. There are those that don't want any contact or just want letters or just want pictures once a year. Uh, and, and basically who, how this works is kind of like a, a weird dating system, you know, mm-hmm. like a matchup, matching up system, because the, it starts with the birth mother. She decides, this is for open adoption. She decides what's comfortable for her. Maybe she wants what she called a closed adoption, but really technically in domestic adoption, the fact that she's choosing who the birth parents will be is no longer considered legally, like what's called a closed adoption. Paperwork can be closed, but because she now knows, before they would just take the baby and the agency would decide. You see what I'm saying? It's now changed where she can look at different, you know, folders or packets or files or dossiers, whatever you want to call them, right. about a family. She could choose a single parent because maybe she had a single parent. That's important for her. Or she could choose a gay and lesbian couple because Mm -hmm. that's important to her. Or she can choose a a husband and a wife because, you know, oh, they have a dog and I always wanted a dog. Or Mm -hmm. look, they have a swimming pool. I didn't. Or look, he looks like my dad. Or they look like you never know why they're going to choose why they do. Or uh, there's a letter we write in our packets, like to the dear birth mother letter to someone you've never even met. And they go through these files with um, the with the social worker or the person from working for the agency Mm -hmm. to make that decision. And sometimes they'll narrow it down. Sometimes then they'll just decide. Some parents uh, don't think uh, don't come to this decision until they're in the hospital and the baby is born or the baby is about to be born. So they don't have a lot of time. Some they'll be a month or two before they're born, and then you get a chance to get to know them. Uh, we were fortunate enough to know ours a month before, and I was even able to be in the birth room there when our boy was born. Wow. So and, how did you, so did you apply, you filled out the paperwork and you wrote your letter. Was it specific to Mason's birth mother or did, did you write well, a letter? We didn't know to, who she was. It's to a random oh person at the time, really, because you don't know who it will be. You literally just say, dear expectant mom, mm-hmm. uh, or to hello. <laughs> and then you get the call that she has chosen you and your letter. And what well, was that call, call like? Uh, well, we get a call that they're presenting us. We're going to present you to a, a birth mother, uh, oh an expected mother. You're like, they're this is casting. Mother. You're getting cast. Exactly. That's what I mean. Like, it's the ultimate weird blind date <laughs> casting. <laughs> and casting you do because you have cast. photos. Some yeah. agencies have you felt like a scrapbook you fill out like a like like literally like a like a, you know graphic design flyer leaflet of you right. this reminds me of applying to preschool yes yes and you talk about what you do you talk about your history a little bit about you know if there's two of you you know the one parent the other parent uh, and you want to pick pictures that don't make you look like right. you know that you, you some of them say don't put too many look too happy or too many kids or don't put oh. the animals in or do put the animals in I mean you never know so we were presented to two other possibilities before we were matched with ours and one decided she wanted someone that already had children because they wanted them to be born into siblings mm-hmm. we didn't have children yet uh, and then the other one didn't like dogs and we had two at the time so uh, this is what we were told anyway so you get rejected yeah it's like rejection and mm. it's this and it's also after filling out all this paperwork and the interview process that you go through for your home study where they come to your house you look through your house they ask you questions alone they ask your question, husband questions alone and they ask you questions together. Um, it's a long process. Uh, it's not easy. It's very personal. It's very intimate. And it's like jumping through hoops that are lit on fire. 
And it brings up a lot of emotions, a lot of resentment, a lot of feelings of your own loss, especially a lot of people go through this who have had miscarriages or gone through infertility treatments. Not not everyone, but some have. And so, mm-hmm. you know, you, you like I said, watch this anger. Like, um, like I, I have a home for this beautiful child. I, let me let me be chosen. That must be yeah. frustrating. Tell us about the moment that you found out that uh, you were a match. Well, we were first asked to go meet with her, and we met with her at Dupar's in Studio City, which I had so many memories in the 80s of, of all places to meet her. And she was beautiful and adorable, and we kind of just felt in love with her right away. Um, I'll get emotional talking about it. Um, and I won't. And again, I won't give too many personal details out because there are some right, things that we don't even tell our own family members uh, because this is Mason's story to yes. tell uh, his own when he's old enough and who he wants to share it with. But I can just, I mean, he knows so much that we told him already. And of course, age appropriate, will tell him more and more. Um, he, and then she, we had pie and ate and, mm. uh, and then we left and it kind of seemed like it was going to happen. And then we weren't sure. And then we got the call that yes, it was. And I was at a baseball field like little league watching some kids of a friend of ours play a little league and I didn't want to call my husband so I had to wait till he was home because I wanted to tell him in person it was one of those things you know you don't want it you want to see their face and hug so I waited to get home and told him and we hugged and cried and um it was beautiful but it's also fraught with that for you know especially most couples like I think anyone who goes into adoption thinks of the worst they go to the lifetime movie of the you know about the parent changing their mind or some scary, bad situation. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband had a lot more fears and worries and doubts and anxiety than I did. Uh, I felt very connected to her. I felt that this was definitely going to go through. I'd also read up on it and I wanted her to have second thoughts. I wanted her to be concerned. I, I felt like I don't, when I say I wanted her because I felt like that's a more natural, real, true emotion you'd have like right to really debate about is this what I really want to do to question because it's a huge decision and I want her to be was that 100 percent was that part of your experience was there any of that that, that you're yeah, willing we to had, share yeah one of the things we oh had about God. in our therapy sessions it's okay you know we have therapy sessions before the social worker all together we spent time we went to movies we you know we um, had dinner, we, we spent, you know, I took her to doctor's appointments, ultrasound. So, you know, we spent a lot of time driving the car, hanging out. Absolutely. Where, she, you know, she talked about her feelings and emotions and I was glad that she did. And like I said, that's something that I can always tell my son that he was so loved by her. And it wasn't just something that, you know, she thought about this. She came to the point where she knew this was the right thing that she felt we were the right parents to raise him. Okay, we will be right back with more Angie Sanders. Isn't it incredible how candid she is? Uh, I can't wait for you to hear the rest of this episode. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. We had a really easy flight home from New York. I cannot believe I'm saying that. Thanks to Speakaboos. Our daughter, Sabrina, has over 200 digital stories available through Speakaboo's library sorted by categories. She's chosen bugs, dinosaurs, and princesses. And it's got her favorite characters from Thomas the Tank Engine to Sesame Street to classics like Where the Wild Things Are. Once the books are downloaded, she can access it offline. So car rides have gotten a lot easier for us. The rich illustrations, animated characters, the touchscreen interactions bring the stories to life. By the way, teachers are using the program in their classrooms right now. I also want to give a shout out to educational psychologist, Dr. Alice Wilder. She's one of the world's leading experts on learning through media and formative research. She's behind this project. Every aspect of Speakaboo's content and product design is anchored in fundamental principles of literacy development and the child's point of view. Uh, And from the child's point of view, it's just fun. (laughs) It's got a reading mode that supports different levels of reading, and it's available for download for mobile devices through iTunes for iOS, Google Play for Android, and speakaboos.com for the web. Search iTunes and Google Play app stores or head to speakaboos.com. For a special Atomic Moms offer, you'll receive your choice of a 7- or 30-day free trial when you subscribe. Again, it's for ages 2 to 6. That's a lot of us mamas out there. Go do a test run with your kids today. Like, just go check it out. Speakaboos.com. 
So Angie, what is your family's relationship with Mason's birth mother now? Uh, she, it's very typical. In, a, a, in the beginning, there's a lot of contact. And then once they begin to feel more comfortable, I guess, or more okay with it um, and seeing, that's one good thing about open adoption. She can see how he's thriving. She sees how happy he is. She sees how loved he is. She sees uh, him growing, you know, um, that she can then feel better, I guess, in, okay, going on with her life and with the choices she made and then having more, you know, living her life. So we don't talk as often as we used to, um, when it's her birthday or it's holidays, sometimes we'll just text, you know, nowadays, modern day text, any pictures, sharing things, phone conversations. She doesn't live right near us. She lives in a different state. So, but I would say that, you know, it's, I'm very grateful for that. Sometimes I wish there could be more. Sometimes I wish she was closer. Um, as he gets older, I don't know what it will be. Uh, absolutely what he's comfortable with, what she's comfortable with. You know, it's an ever-changing, evolving relationship. Uh, with your adoptive family support group, are there any families that have the birth mother where she, she was young and so she gave up her child for adoption but now has a family of her own? And, oh, absolutely! And yes. How yes. do you, how do you reconcile Explain that? Explain that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, again, it's that situation where, at the time, she knew, and again, there's a lot of times the birth father is involved, but, uh, but it's the majority of the time the birth mother is one who has the final say. The birth father does have to write off and relinquish his parental rights as well at one point if they can find him. They have to do due diligence to find him if or if they if they know at all. But um they it, it, that is what she felt and knew was the best for her at the time. And she had to grow and mature. And adoption means forever family and that you would tell them that we are your forever family. It doesn't just change. And she knows that. And that we're your mommy and daddy and love you and we're our family. And now she's growing another family and building another family. And we're always connected. And a lot of, if there's a really close, intimate relationship, consider them as they are part of the family. You know, when we, the family tree, she's certainly part of his family tree, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, she's like the roots for sure of the tree, no doubt. Um, does he have a relationship with his father? No, we do not have one with him. He knows, we know his name. We know what he looks like. Uh, we know a little bit about him. Uh, and he asks questions. And that's what I was going to say for us, open adoption, whether there is a little communication, no communication, you know, international, domestic, open adoption to me means to be open to your child, to talk about it with them, to receive their questions and even if you don't know the answer to say, wow, what a great question. I'm so glad you're asking about that. I wish I knew that too. I hope we can find out one day, you know, um, especially if you don't know what to say, like in a moment or maybe putting in a little box and asking, let's, let's try to figure that out one day together because I want to know what other questions do you have? So there's that, you know, being a peaceful parent, always wanting that connection with my child. That's what we do his curiosity about it just tonight. It's so funny trying to put him to sleep so we could talk, you know, and he's mm -hmm. kind of tossing and turning. And he says, have I always been a morning person, mommy? Cause he gets up early. Have I always gotten up early? And I said, yeah, you kind of have. Yeah, you have. And he says, and he said, I, he, I wonder, uh, and he knows, you know, his birth mother's name. He said, I wonder if she was, do you think that she was, is that why mm. when I was in her belly, maybe I got up early. I'm like, actually, she was more a night person than they were sleeping. Like, mommy did. That's what I know. I said, maybe when she was younger, she was. And I said, maybe we could ask her the next time. He goes, yeah, maybe we could. Okay. Like, you know, he just knows that it's okay to ask that and wonder about that, you know? Mm -hmm. And and I love that. I love that. Uh, and Mason has also sort of explained adoption to his peers. Is that correct? Yes, he has. Uh, when he was really little, about three he equated it to uh, marriage when we asked him, well, do you know what adoption is? Because I was going to go speak on adoption 
And I said, what, you, you know, what is adoption? He said, it's like a, a wedding. You're married forever. Um, you know, and he was just, and I said, that's true. You, you know, we come together, become a family. And one of his friends was just over here the other day having dinner, hanging out. And he asked, are you adopted? He asked his friend. And he said, what's that? And he said, oh, I'm adopted. And he said, my mommy's belly didn't work or I couldn't grow in there. So I grew in someone else's belly. Like he said, and he's like, oh, and thank goodness his boy's mother was there also. And she says, she says, yeah. And she knew somebody else that was adopted. And he's like, oh, I didn't know that. And he said, no, I'm not adopted. And then they went on talking about other things. So it's very basic and simple, very kind of clinical. You know? uh, I want to know, Angie, what's the biggest internal change you've experienced in becoming a mother? Wow. You know, it's the cliche you always hear when they say you never know until it happens to you. And everyone tells you how it will change you. But it has opened my heart and my mind in ways I never thought possible. Because it is that love. It's like no other love. Here I go. Get my tissue. Um, that just fills you so much that it could just swallow you whole. You can just lose yourself in it. And so many moms have that you have to hold on to. You still stay sane. You still stay holy yourself because it's so powering. It could swallow you whole. And some days you want it to, and it's this lovely, like wrapped in a blanket, taking a fully part of you and amazing and mushy and mushy and the most divine thing and bliss and sublime. And sometimes freakily terrifying and exhausting it's powerful in every way. And I think that ultimately, I hope I'm a better person because of it. I think I certainly see things through my kids' eyes more. I feel I'm more empathetic. I feel I really got serious about doing self-care. I got really serious about doing the inner work on myself. Like I, There was no messing around anymore. I needed to. What does self-care look like for you? Right there, what I did, taking a deep breath sometimes before just speaking. Uh, Mason would even tell me, Mommy, you need to take a deep breath when I'm mm -hmm. getting all freaky-deaky or wired mm -hmm. up, spun up. Mm -hmm. Self-care <laughs> is, is doing the work to go deep within to really listen to what I call my higher self, my true self, like in the moment, who, who, who are you? Who do you want to be? Because is this really who you are? If I'm getting to a place I don't want to be, if I'm losing myself in some way, with it, um, I think it's self-care is taking the moment to go deeper and taking lots more moments. It's not just manicures and pedicures. It's, listening to my true, true self so that I can really love myself more. Cause I like my true self. I really do. I like her. She's, I love her. She's amazing. She's been through a lot. She's strong. And, and I can say that. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of women that can't say that still, or, or we feel bad if we say that, like to even say yeah, that we the like our, you know, we love our yeah, true selves or that thing. we like who we are, like that that feels like it's bragging and it's not. I mean, it's necessary to, you know, be a stable well, balance. Don't we it, want our children to feel that way? Like I want my daughter to feel that way. Yes, of that's course exactly she should feel that say, way. And, the, and if, if I can't walk that walk, then she's not going to, if she doesn't see me feeling that way, then she's going to second guess it for herself. So I better clear up so my own act. Yeah. It's like how we get, well, how we take a compliment. Like sometimes mm -hmm. someone will say, oh, that's so, what a great, even I realize that someone just said what a great outfit that is. Like, oh, what a nice dress. And I might say, oh, I got it on sale somewhere here. Like I have <laughs> to kind of qualify it or something. Yeah. Or I didn't, I can't just say, oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, it's, and, and I see how we even pushing our children, you know, saying please, saying thank you, that kind of stuff is in a weird way, I think, chipping away on their confidence. 
Because if they can come to it on their own of feeling like, wow, this felt really good that someone did something for me. Thank you. As opposed to forcing them. Yes. You know, I never, I, I've never said, what do you say? What do you say? Right. You know, and I know every parent says that. And it always just, it's like this red flag I hear every time. I always used to say, wow, I see you're smiling. I see when he gave you that, that made you really happy. I, I think that was really nice of Ellie. Look at, she gave you that. It was really sweet of her. And I just really acknowledge how happy it is and how mm-hmm. he looks and happy it made him. And now instead of, I find it is kind of like Pablo's dog though, because with how most parents will say, what do you say? I just say, that was really nice of them. And then he automatically goes, thank you. So it's still yes. kind of And then happens, it's intrinsic. But- it's coming from him. And that's so awesome. I'm glad you shared that. So Mason's mother is white and his father is black. And how did you prepare for a transracial adoption? Mason's birth mother is white. You just seen how you said Mason's mother is white. <gasps> did I do that? You did. It's okay. <gasps> his his first mother, his biological mother, his birth mother. That's, I'm, I don't get upset or offended. No, I'm you, offended okay. by myself. No, that's okay. That's I can't believe it, I said that. To talk about. You did, at least you didn't say his real mother. So <laughs> um, that oh one. Oh my always, gosh! Always no, but it. I'm so shocked that I did that. Wow. Well, okay. okay. Well, that's why we're doing it's, this episode because you know, clearly I, there's some subconscious I, bias that happens. <laughs> Um, I apologize. I don't think it's bias. I, you don't need to. It, it's okay. I, th- I mean, maybe some people would be offended, but I'm certainly not. I, I even say it sometimes. I've said it when I'm having conversations, and I realize, wow, you know, my husband has caught me. I'm like, really? And that's what I've learned too as I've gotten older. I think I'm not as sensitive because he has two moms. My son has two moms. He has his first mom, who will always be a mom. Whatever word you put before we say mom or mother, do you know what I mean? If we say birth, bio, um, she she is. I can't deny that. And I believe he needs both of us to make him as whole and feel loved as he can. I wish we had uh, more relationship with his birth father. And maybe one day we will. I don't know. Just because for me, if it makes him happy and as confident and um, you know, the most amazing child he can, adult human being he can be, then I need to be okay with that. That's what I realized that I think a lot of adoptive parents might start to feel like this ownership out of a fear, out of pain or worry or something. But to me, the number one priority is my child's mental, emotional, and spiritual health. So I'm okay with that. How did you prepare for the transracial aspect? Right. And that's such a great question because even in adoption yourself, there are certain classes you need to take that they give you in workshops. And, you know, they're just a few hours long or eight hours required and they cover some things, but no way can they prepare you for what you need, what will happen in your life as just being a parent in general, reading parenting books or taking classes. Nothing prepares you for it until something is happening to you in the moment. But, um, there was a lot of research that we did do and there's a wonderful organization called PACT, P-A-C-T. It actually has a book that you can, that has a list of questions to ask yourself. And it's, it's these questions that we really do again, as parents should ask ourselves anyway, you know, what am I prepared for? How am I going to handle it? Because you really have to look at your own personality. Like if you're a shy person or a volatile person You know, how do you feel in public when people approach you about things? Because you will have a conspicuous family and stand out in the crowd and and things like that. Um, A a person's attitude and lifestyle, you know, are you really well-adjusted, easygoing or more uptight and rigid or in your lifestyle? Do you have a lot of, did we have to look at, do we have a lot of friends or family or maybe even have we ever dated anyone of different races? You know, where do we live play the factor into it? Um, and the knowledge about a child's heritage, once you know, some people do know if they choose to adopt internationally, what race they will be adopting, or um, if you put on, because when you adopt, you can say we're open to any ethnicity, if that's what you choose. So you might not know what you'll be matched with until closer to the child being born. You know, it's really something that 
there, like I say, a booklet of questions to ask yourself, but it's things that we really had to go deep about what my husband and I were comfortable with, not comfortable. And it was, it was great though, because we had some really, really amazing, amazing conversations and that conversation is still continuing. And it sounds like you've created with this family support group, um, you know, a collection of families that are diverse. And so your son is able to interact with um, children of all different types of backgrounds. Uh, I'm wondering when Mason reflects back on his childhood, what do you hope he remembers most? Oh, wow. What a great question. I hope that he remembers. I guess we talk about this, like, oh, we just made a memory, mommy. He'll say that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to remember this forever. He'll say things like that. So beautiful. Um, I hope that he he feels, I guess, that he remembers feeling really heard and really seen, really valued. I hope that he remembers feeling a real connection and um, an ease through life, an acceptance by me and my husband. And I hope he feels, you know, joy and uh, excitement and wonderment, all those things too, of course. But I think that's most important. He feels a real, remembers a real deep connection with us. That's, I love that. Gorgeous. Thank you so much, Angie. Um, you know, Ellie, one of the things yeah. I, one of the things I just I never get to say this, and I wanted to is because I know this is you know National Adoption Awareness Month, mm-hmm. and that we're talking about my experience as as an you know adoptive mm-hmm. mom is for those families that don't have adoption in their family, I encourage them to find a book in about adoption and read it to their child, so their child knows what adoption is. So if they come upon a child at their school that is adopted, they don't go, "What's that?" That to me is awareness. Go to the library, find a book. You know, Todd Parr has great books on adoption. Um, there, there, just so they can start the dialogue with it. As much as I teach my child also about, you know, African American history, I teach him about all kinds of histories. Like we just talked about, you know, Diwali, and we talked about, you know, all the different holidays and all the different ha- happens around the world and cultures. And I think that's important to create more tolerance and acceptance of what's going on in the world too. So we're not just focusing on one situation that what goes on in the whole world. So that's what I would encourage all parents who would like to them to do, have that dialogue with their kids. Excellent. Well, Angie, thank you so much. Uh, listeners, you can also check out Angie's blog. Mommywantsmoresleep.com, uh, which I... I, I love to blog and I write and then I edit it and I don't post it or I'm too tired. That's the irony of it to post as often as I'd like to. But um, one of my things just get just got accepted. Uh, it's going to be posted on the Good Mother Project. I'm very excited about that. And I'm starting to finally get things out there. And also, um, you can find me at evolvingparents.com as well. Perfect. That's for my um, peaceful parenting. Yeah. Thank you. This has been awesome. I just think you're so wonderful. Uh, You're so wonderful. Thank you so much, Angie. Uh, And thanks for doing our late night call. Okay, listeners, until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. 